Hello there, Servus. My name is Haishan Wade, and you're listening to This Week in Geopolitics, where we take a look at the events of yesterday and detail how they paint the geopolitical reality of today. And what I got for you today, we're going to talk about Turkey going for round two in the Eastern Mediterranean. We're going to talk about the Shanghai Cooperation Organization expanding. And then we'll talk about the big story of the week, the Nord Stream pipelines getting sabotaged. All that and more, coming up. Alrighty, time to get into the rapid-fire news, and we'll keep this short because that segment I have on the Nord Stream pipelines is uh, big and fat, so it's going to take up a bunch of time. But we'll go over, we'll go over. We got nine European leaders putting their support behind Ukrainian NATO membership. Uh, as of late, NATO's been, well, I wouldn't say NATO, but Ukraine has attempted to get a fast track into NATO membership. They made an appeal. Uh, so this will, this may or may not go through. I don't imagine it will, but it might. And that's, that's the big if here. That's the big maybe. Um, so... Usually, NATO doesn't allow other countries in that have undefined borders or border conflicts with other countries, and usually they don't allow in countries that are at war with other countries. But given how heavily invested basically every country in NATO already is to the Ukrainians in this war that we're not in, but we're so heavily invested in that we almost may as well be in, we may actually see them throw aside those customs so they're not necessarily rules but we may see them throw aside those customs and those traditions in favor of fast-tracking ukraine's membership into nato that would change the game and would probably we'd probably see ukraine die faster because then the russians would actually have a bit of a time limit on their hands or maybe the russians will just sit back and let it happen and then use it as an excuse to you know create another land bridge instead of going from Russia to Crimea and I believe eventually to Transnistria they'll, they'll want a land bridge between them and Kaliningrad why why stop there we, we can take Finland <laughs> they used to be part of Russia historic Russia uh, I've seen a couple of Putin's speeches lately and he's been talking a lot about historic Russia and the new Russia he, he rejected being the Soviet Union or attempting to rebuild it Instead, he refers to the new Russia, which is, well, an obvious reference to modern-day Russia. So, given that the new Russia has a heavy emphasis in its foreign policy towards historic Russia, well, you know, Finland used to be a part of uh, Russia. Alaska did too, but I don't know how they're going to get that one. But, uh, so there's Central Asia, there's the Caucasus, there's all of Ukraine. All of Belarus, Belarus is partially taken care of. They have the Union State. But Kaliningrad is, a, is an island. Uh, you know, in terms of borders, it's cut off from Russia. It's not an island, it's, a, it's on land. But as far as Russia is concerned, it, it may as well be an island because they have to sail around the Baltics to get to them because Lithuania cut off uh, any ability of the Russians to move through their territory to get to Kaliningrad. So, in the event that NATO does fast-track Ukraine's membership, 
there's a number of options that the Russians can uh, respond to this. There's a number of ways that they can respond. One of those is to just let it happen and play it out to their advantage because we've given so much of our own military equipment to the Ukrainians that I struggled to believe that we would be able to fight the Russians. Like, there was a chance before. Uh, I, I was still skeptical before the war broke out that we would be able to fight the Russians uh, in the former Soviet space. I was already skeptical of our ability to do that before, but now we've exhausted our own arsenals on Ukraine for minimal gains on the part of the Ukrainians. So, you're talking... Ukraine gets in the NATO, calls for Article 5, and and get, manages to get the unanimous vote, because that's one of the things that they need, one to join NATO and the other to get them to go along with the war. Say that that happens. What now? R Russia's already mobilizing a, a 300,000 men. The Russian standing army is already a million, and they only have about 160,000 in Ukraine as of right now. What, they, they just add on another 300,000 and call it a day? Maybe maybe they'll bump it up to 500,000 additional on top of the 300,000 reservists that they're already mobilizing. Okay, now the the vast majority of the Russian military that isn't preoccupied in the war in Ukraine, they, they'll just walk in. <laughs> they'll just walk into all that empty territory in the Baltics and in Finland. And what's NATO going to do about that? The Americans aren't over there. We're, we're not ready for the, to fight that war. We really aren't. I mean, we bluster as though we were, but we're not. We're, we're, we are really not prepared to fight this war. I mean, you have stories talking about how the U.S. is gearing up for a war with China. Well, that's a naval war. That's not a land war. Russia Fighting Russia is going to be a land war. That's, that's, built, that's baked into the cake. Fighting Russia is a land war. We are not prepared for a land war. I would argue that none... Of the, none of Europe is ready for a land war. Maybe the French, because they they've been fighting in Africa. Maybe the French, maybe the Turks, but I, I I'm not convinced that Turkey's gonna go along with that declaration of war. They they might allow, that they might allow themselves. To say that they're in a war against Russia, and then they'll just pretend, pretend that they aren't. Uh, Turkey, I'll, I'll have to talk about Turkey one of these days, because uh, I'll have to do another segment on them. Uh, you know, I, Actually, I might just do it when the war is over, because they're, they're doing a lot, and I imagine that they're not going to stop, so there's going to be lots to talk about just specifically looking at Turkey when the war is over. There's going to be a lot to talk about when the war is over, and I'll probably have an episode dedicated just to that. But there's a, there's a whole lot of ways this can go. Like, Russia could speed up their advance on Ukraine and kill it before it even has the chance to become a part of NATO. And that, that's just that. Or they can let it play out. They can take the rest of what they want in one fell swoop, humiliate the West militarily, and force them to sign a peace when the winter hits because none of them have the energy to fight a war against Russia in the winter. Yeah, That's going to go very well for them. It's, uh, and by that I mean it's going to very poorly. Very, very poorly. So, we're at, we're at a very precarious moment. People are talking about, oh, Russia's going to use nukes. I don't think they will. I don't think anybody's going to be using nukes here. 
But people believe that Putin's a madman, so they, they don't rule it out. I do. He has a million-man army. And millions more in reserve. And more artillery than we can count. He doesn't need nukes. He, if anything, he just needs a proper declaration of war instead of a special military operation. Then you'll see some, some wild things start to happen. The things we thought would happen in the beginning of the war. But I'll digress. That's uh, what's going on in NATO. Then we have Turkey conducting air raids on Kurdish PKK group, uh, on the Kurdish PKK group in parts of northern Iraq. Iraq is also launching its own attack on the Kurdish group as well. You have Ukraine taking the town of Liman. This has been a point of major celebration in Ukraine in pro-Ukrainian circles. Uh, the Russians aren't talking about it much. Not one. Well, the Russian government isn't, but a Russian people are and they're really upset uh, well they're upset with the conduct of the war in general because they they're limited they they know that the russian military can win but the con the constrictions placed on the military prevent them from doing so i imagine that those const those constrictions are going to disappear the second that these territories are formally a part of russia which has to make its way through the duma the russian Congress basically, then they have to be signed by Putin, and I'm pretty sure that that will finish up on Wednesday. Uh, going by some estimations from the Duran on how long that would take, so we might we might see the war take a, a very dramatic turnaround, in sometimes in this week. But we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, again on how how Russia does this, they could just verify that these are part of Russia and then continue on the way they have been, but I think that's unlikely. But I won't rule it out because the the Russians like uh the Russians really like throwing off my <laughs> my sense of direction here. Where I think that oh they they won't do that and then they'll do it. Oh there, there's no way they, they don't do this and then they don't do it and and I and I I'm the guy hyping them up. Okay. I'm, oh yeah they they'll, they'll just they'll flatten Ukraine and, and then they they go for eight million months <laughs> grinding away in the Donbass. I'm like, yeah, okay, now, okay, now. I get it. I can't predict what you're going to do. <laughs> now get to it. But, alas, we have major events in the war, which I've, I imagine is going to ramp up very quickly in the next few days. Then we have Germany sending a delegation to Taiwan. What exactly that's going to do for either of them, I'm not certain. Taiwan doesn't have firewood. <laughs> oh, goodness. I'm, I'm still taken aback by this firewood thing. I find it comedic. Uh, you have the U.S. imposing oil sanctions on Chinese, Indian, Emirati, and Hong Kong companies that are suspected of aiding Iran. We have Biden promising almost a billion dollars, uh, specifically a hundred million dollars to various island countries in the Pacific. What exactly that's supposed to do for us, I'm not entirely sure. But hey, as, as long as we're just giving out money, you know, we're, we're just giving out money. We're 60 billion to the Ukrainians, six and a half billion to the Taiwanese, another billion to countries we can't name. Oh yeah, countries we, we can't even point to on a map, even if they... We're big enough to do so. I can't point. I have a I have a map of the Pacific right now, next to me. I can't find these islands. I, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I, I can't find them. I can't. 
I just can't. I, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm savvy with this thing. I cannot find these islands on the map. They're too small. They are too small. And it's. The point is that we, we don't need to be giving them money. We don't need to be giving money to literally everyone. He, we just signed on to this this infrastructure thing, this global infrastructure thing, where we're going to be paying $300 million. Is that? Yeah, $300 million from us. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that, that's what it was. There was a couple hundred million coming out of Germany, Italy, and France, and... Britain, Canada, and the Japanese are paying like a hundred million. And I'm like, okay, so we're, we're just that's three hundred million. Three hundred million. Or was it three hundred billion? I I have a strong feeling it was a, it was with a B instead of a with an M. So that's three hundred billion. <laughs> we gave sixty billion to Ukraine. We get we just gave six and a half billion to Taiwan. So, and then we're giving out another billion to these countries, and we're probably going to give out another 10 to 20 billion to the Ukrainians, well, so we just add that on. So that, that's what, $400 billion given away already? Yeah, we're, 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 just, we're just aiming for a trillion now? Well, goodness. Ugh. Uh, if there was ever an argument for the abolition of foreign aid, this is it. This is it. We have the EU promising more sanctions against Russia. We have four Ukrainian regions under Russian occupation. The Zaporizhia, Kherson, the Donetsk, and Luhansk People's Republics. They've all voted to join Russia, as we expected from the referendum. Whether you thought it was legitimate or a fraud, we all expected them to vote yes. And that's exactly what they've done. The process, again, is expected to be finished this week. I'm a... I remember the, the Durant threw out Wednesday as a day, so I'm going to run with that. But at bare minimum, we should see that these regions become formally a part of Russia by the time I make another episode. So there we go. There, there's a sound prediction right there. And then we have... Uh, what is this? Ah, it was a, a side story that I was that I felt was strange. This is... A report from The Hill saying that Biden's announcement of the pandemic being over was premature. And I, I'm just sitting here like, yeah? Two and, two and a half years is premature? Okay. <laughs> okay. Because no, no one even talks about this, this virus anymore. No one even talks about COVID. No one bothers to talk about COVID. No I, when I go into a store, no no ass hat is over here talking about oh you wear your mask uh, just okay yeah, get away from me <laughs> like no no one even no one's doing that anymore no one even speaks of this virus no one acknowledges that this virus happened but ending the pandemic or the declaring it over is premature even though it's in effect been declared over for months now almost for a whole year but. Whatever thou sayest, whatever thou sayest. But that's the rapid fire for today. And now we're getting to the juicy, juicy meat of this episode. All right, we're back and it's time to talk about Turkey again, because Turkey is going for round two. And it starts with Libya, because it was an agreement between them and the Libyan government based in Tripoli. 
they signed some economic and maritime deals uh, between them and Turkey. They signed memorandums of understanding, and these were made with the specific aim towards the energy sector, uh, cooperation there, and that was primarily for hydrocarbons like oil and natural gas, although a proper deal on natural gas specifically appears to also be in the works, so we're likely talking in terms of oil, refining, and things like that. So, a deal in natural gas appears to be in the works, and as some of you may know, deep beneath the Mediterranean, in the eastern part of the Mediterranean, there's lots of natural gas and oil deposits. Uh, just, just sitting there, in what is technically international waters, waiting for someone to come get it. And Turkey wants to go get it. They, they, they really want this. They really, really want this. Uh, they've been at this for some years now. And they're back at it again. Working with the one country that they've had some real success with on this front, Libya. Uh, specifically the part of Libya where the Tripoli government is based in. Uh, even though Tripoli probably doesn't have much ability to enforce this deal. I mean, you, you look at where Tripoli, the city is, and where this this sort of agreement on the meeting between maritime zones between Turkey and Libya is, and it it rests on the southwestern part of Turkey, and that sort of stretching out and overseas to the northeast part of Libya. But Tripoli is in the northwest part of Libya. So how exactly they would uh, honor this end of the deal is a bit of a mystery, but as far as Turkey is concerned, I don't, I don't think they really care. <laughs> they, if the Tripoli government dies, Turkey is probably just going to take the whole damn thing for themselves. And if they have the sufficient force to do so, who's going to stop them? Libya? <laughs> no. But the deal between an, uh, what is technically a government of Libya, a government, maybe not the ruling government of Libya, they're in a civil war, maybe not the ruling government of Libya, but a government of Libya, which claims all of Libya as its land, is technically able to make this deal. Technically. And that, that technical, those technicalities are all you need, man. Just, just look at Russia with these referendums. So they made a deal. And it's based on a previous deal that they made back in 2019, where they made this uh, maritime arrangement deal where their mar their maritime zones would reach out and touch each other, uh, and they'd meet halfway between each other in the eastern Mediterranean. And this had the effect of extending Turkey's reach deep into the eastern Mediterranean, conveniently right where all the natural gas happens to be. And now they're signing deals between them and Libya on natural gas and oil cooperation. And this has reignited tension between Turkey and Greece over maritime borders, because Greece owns a lot of islands, and technically you have 12, mile, 12 nautical miles around your landmass being your exclusive economic zone. So when you have a lot of islands like that, you can just monopolize all the space. Turkey says... We don't care. We're going to take this anyway. Uh, and the, the problem here is that you have 
you have a number of very small Greek islands, very, very close to the actual landmass that is Turkey, Anatolia. There's lots of islands off the, the west coast of Turkey that belong to Greece. And then you have Crete, uh, one of the bigger islands that sits at really the midway point between Greece, Turkey, and Libya at the same time. And this agreement between Turkey and Libya cuts through that zone that would technically belong to Greece by way of the island of Crete, which belongs to Greece. So Greece is very upset about this, as they were the, the last few times that Turkey's made claims like this uh, and made the agreement with Libya the first time that they were going to carve up the Mediterranean the way that they wanted because it cuts Greece out and cuts it takes away some of their exclusive economic territory. Now, Greece by itself is not very capable of stopping this from happening, as is evident by the fact that Turkey keeps doing this. Greece instead reaches out to the EU for help. They reach out to the U.S. occasionally, but they found more success in reaching out to France. Because the last time that Turkey made a move to actually drill for the gas in the eastern Mediterranean, this was in 2020, and we covered it on the episode uh, on the podcast, France, they when Turkey tried to make a move to drill for the gas, France sent in a destroyer and forced Turkey to back down. And I noticed that from that point onwards, Turkey just continued building up their navy. Very interesting that they would be building up their navy after an encounter like that. So I figured, Turkey's not done. They're just making sure that they've crossed their I's and... Uh, crossed their I's. They've crossed their T's and dotted their I's before they make their attempt a second time. Because the next time that they go for this, and it's looking like that time may be arriving decently soon, I don't think they're going to back down. And... I don't know if I don't know if France is willing to get into a war with Turkey over the eastern Mediterranean. But it's a possibility. Yeah, this is a flashpoint. This is a major, major flashpoint. And these aren't even all the players here. We are not even talking about Israel. Technically Lebanon, although they're in, well, let's be honest, Lebanon is in, you know they're in no position to be doing anything in the eastern Mediterranean right now. They're offline. Israel is preoccupied with Palestine. They're offline. For the time being, uh, you have Cyprus, and then you have the Islamic Republic of Northern Cyprus, which is actually a, a Turkish puppet state that they set up after they invaded the island. So, technically, Cyprus is a player here. Lebanon and Israel are players, but they're offline. Egypt is a player. They can get involved if they choose to do so, but... I, Egypt is in a really tough position. They have to pick their battles. Uh, they can they can either intervene in Libya or they could do something about Israel if they felt like doing so with regards to the Palestinians. Or they could intervene in the Mediterranean. Or they could focus on the life-threatening matter, which is Ethiopia damming up the Nile River. I think they're going to choose Ethiopia. I And they're buying weapons. They're buying lots of weapons. They, they have lots of people, and I think they're preparing for that conflict, and they probably don't want to waste their precious resources on this conflict. 
they'd probably rather just cut a deal with Turkey. Or maybe Greece. They lean more towards Greece, but I won't rule out that they could go for Turkey if Turkey looks like they're going to be the winner in this affair. Egypt probably just wants to not have to worry about this region right now. They have a very pressing issue to their south, which is the life of their country. The Nile River is Egypt. Egypt without the Nile is unthinkable. I think that they're preparing for that. But Egypt could get in. They, they could step in. They could step in and get involved. But they so far have chosen not to do so. Not very much anyway. But they do have their own like corridor agreement between them and Greece. As a sort of counter to Turkey and Libya. This is a flashpoint, folks. This is a, a real flashpoint that can go hot. But only two of the players here appear to be willing to make it go hot, and that's Turkey and Greece. Because Greece is calling for outside help, and Turkey is increasingly assertive over its own claims. So the attention here is on those two, and France, because France is the outside help that Greece has managed to get. Maybe with Biden in office, we might see the U.S. get involved here as well. Although, uh, you never know. You never know. I, I won't rule it out. Because uh, it's not as if people are realistic about these expectations to make a pivot to Asia. People say they want to pivot to Asia, but they don't want to leave Europe. Well, those two don't go together. And that's before you get into the fact that we shouldn't be in either of those continents to begin with. But if you're going to pivot to Asia, you got to leave Europe. If, if you want an effective pivot to Asia, that is. If you're going to half-ass it, then you can stay in Europe. And then you can lose on both fronts. But the U.S. could potentially be a player. But the real players here are Turkey, Greece, and France. And the last time Turkey made a move to drill for gas, France sent a destroyer. Turkey's been building up their navy. Uh, they, they were doing it since before then. But they've continued. Uh, and they, they haven't stopped. So I imagine the Turkish navy... And actually, maybe one of these days I'll have to look at the size of that navy. And its composition to get a feel for how strong their navy might be currently but th this is potentially a, a real problem waiting to happen but as for now it looks like turkey is ready for round two and we will see what becomes of this i i don't imagine losing a war is going to be very well received on the part of either the greek government or the french government or the Turkish government, for that matter. So, what happens? Who knows? We really don't know. And it's not like they, they already have the gas and you can fight over it. No, the, the gas has to be drilled for. But f Greece and France aren't drilling for the gas. Turkey's the one trying to do that. So, if Turkey wins this struggle, then you're going to get them tapping into the natural gas. And they're going to become real competitors in the natural gas scene. Competitors to Russia. So it's interesting that we don't allow them to do this. I guess territorial, you know, uh, claims come before those needs. Because technically we could have the gas. Uh, speaking from a Greek perspective, we could have the gas instead of the Turks. Why let them have it? It's in our territorial waters. But we're not making the attempt to get it. Turkey's making the attempt to get it. So it's interesting how in this crisis where they... Europe does not have natural gas. 
it'll be interesting to see who stands behind Turkey because they want the gas and who stands behind Greece because they want European solidarity. Because that, that's going to force a conflict. NATO or the EU? Because if you go with NATO, you let Turkey do it because we're all in NATO, right? But if you go with Greece, you're excluding a NATO member in favor of European solidarity. That might force a very interesting conflict of beliefs now that I'm thinking about it. This... This can this is this can blow up. This is some very flammable material. Uh, almost as flammable as that firewood those Europeans wish they had. Ha <laughs> ha! I told you so. I told you this would happen. I said undo the sanctions. Uh, I said it. I, I've been saying it all summer. You gotta undo the sanctions. Coal and nuclear is your best hope. But uh, to be fair, who's gonna listen to some r- rando who who happens to have a podcast? Certainly not the governments of these countries, but I, I'm on record saying that that's what they should do, and they didn't listen. So now, we watch the humanitarian crisis unfold, and it's, I call it a humanitarian crisis for a reason. But now, we will move on to the SCO, because the Shanghai Cooperation Organization has expanded by the addition of Iran. They've joined. Uh, they were previously an observer. They they applied to become a full member back in 2021, and back then they were just an observer. They held observer status, which was a position they held and shared with Mongolia, Afghanistan, and Belarus. So that they've... Iran's been moving more towards the Eurasia type thing for some time now. They've been moving more towards this. Uh, This is partly as a result of the ridiculous sanctions that keep getting levied against them every other week by America, specifically. Occasionally Europe, but usually America. And with that in mind, why wouldn't Iran move more towards, you know, Asia? Because I say Eurasia because that's the goal here, is for it to be Eurasia as a concept. But let's be honest, how can you have Eurasia without Europe? Or at least some of Europe. I guess technically Russia is the biggest country in Europe, even if you only count the part of Russia that's west of the Urals. But is that really just? Is that really enough to say that it's Eurasia? I guess so. Uh, but you know, on a technicality, that's Eurasia. But in terms of the actual idea of Eurasia, you. You probably want more of Europe to be in there so that you can call it Eurasia. So I guess it's more accurate to say that Iran's been moving more towards Asia and the East as a result of pressure from the West. And who could blame them? Like, let's be honest, who could blame them? Who wants to live their life under the boot of American sanctions? I don't. I wouldn't. I'm an American and I don't even want to be sanctioning everybody. Why do we have to sanction literally everybody? Like, name a country we don't like. Name a country we don't like. I bet you sanctions are on the table for dealing with them, because that's all we know. It's like the the hammer being the only tool in your toolbox. And when you have a hammer as your only tool, everything looks like a nail. 
we could expand the toolbox or we could just keep hammering away at everything. Oh, we don't like this country. Sanction them. Oh, we don't like that country. Sanction them. What's that? Russia invaded the only Nazi state in the world. Let's throw the mother of all sanctions at them. We're going to take them off the SWIFT system and kill their currency and make life unbearable for their people. Like these, these were the actual intentions of our government. This is sinister stuff. And thankfully for the Russians, thankfully for the Russians, they were well prepared, a lot more prepared than even they expected for the sanctions. And the sanctions didn't really hurt them all that much. But who, who wants to live under a system like that where you disagree with somebody over an issue that means more to you than it does to America and America sanctions you over it? Yeah. We have the, the Iran nuclear deal. It's so silly. We, th we don't trust Iran to have a nuke, but we trust Israel. They invade their neighbors on a daily basis. We trust Israel to have a nuke. Where, where's, where, where's the Pakistan nuclear deal? They they let they let Osama bin Laden live there, right under our noses. They're technically that's aiding and abetting a terrorist, aiding and abetting a terrorist organization. Why why are we not talking about a a, a Pakistan nuclear deal? Why aren't we talking about an India nuclear deal? Why, what about China? Wait, everyone everyone loves to talk about China. What about the Chinese nuclear deal? It doesn't exist. What about Russia? Everyone's everyone right now is talking about the possibility of Russia using a nuke because Vladimir Putin's a madman. Well, where's the Russia nuclear deal? Where's the North Korea nuclear deal? Everyone everyone used to talk about North Korea and Kim Jong-un using a nuke. Where's the North Korea nuclear deal? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's only Iran. Why? It's silly. It's so silly when you put it in context, when you put it into perspective. It doesn't make sense. But when you have all these things like that, why wouldn't Iran move away from us and go towards China and Russia? Go towards India and Pakistan? Go towards the East, where people don't want to sanction you for having a, a different opinion. People don't want to cancel you as a country. Who wants cancel culture as a foreign policy when you can go make a deal with the guy who doesn't do that to you? Goodness. So they've, they've been doing, they've been making this shift for quite some time and we bear part of the responsibility for making them do this. They want it to trade, but we wanted domination of the Middle East. So now they're, they're moving towards the East and that's just the way it is. And now they have full membership in the SCO. So they're probably going to be engaging in lots more cooperation deals and agreements. And I imagine, you know, the Iranians must be looking at how the Western countries try to destroy the Russian economy. And they must be saying to themselves, wow, we made the right choice because we, we could have thrown our lot in with those people who want to destroy everyone who disagrees with them financially. We want to destroy everyone that disagrees with us. And we disagree with Iran a lot. The Iranians must be looking like we we almost threw our lot in with those people. They we would have been their slaves the second we spoke out against them. We would got we would have gotten the same treatment that the Russians did. Sanctions. Kill the mother of all sanctions. But now that they that they threw their lot in with the East and they're seeing how the West acts, 
when the mask comes off and they're seeing that the people that Iran has thrown its lot in with are able to stand up to the savagery of our sanctions regime, they must be like, wow, we we really dodged a bullet by not going with those people. We're, we're, we're going to stick with Russia. We're going to stick with China and India and Pakistan. This is where it's at. Yeah. We get the belt and road and some economic security. Yes. This. Oh, yes. We're, we're staying over here. I can imagine that's what they're thinking right now. And this also may result in more of these Shanghai Cooperation Organization's observers going for full membership. Or maybe even some of their dialogue partners moving up to observer status. Uh, the countries in the dialogue Partners' status are Armenia, Azerbaijan, Cambodia, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Turkey. Ooh, Turkey. We've been talking about Turkey all day. (laughs) Their relevance only grows. I will definitely have to make a segment dedicated to them when the Russo-Ukrainian war is over. I have have a whole idea for what I want to do when that war ends. But it has to end first. So, go-go gadget Russian winter offensive. Bring this shit to a close. Now we have the big story of the week. Nord Stream is sabotaged. Not just Nord Stream 2, not just Nord Stream 1, both. Both of them sabotaged. And this one's a really a, a really a self-explanatory story. The the Nord Stream pipelines have been sabotaged. What more can you say? But it's what happens after that that matters. Uh Last week, Swedish, Danish, and German authorities have corroborated stories of underwater blasts being detected near the two pipelines in what was international waters, close to where Danish territorial waters begin, but still international waters. So it's, some have said that this is a major escalation if civilian infrastructure in international waters is now a target that's a massive escalation. That, that means nowhere is safe. That's technically an dec- act of war. And that we'll get into the implications of this later on. But it's been sabotaged. And you have corroborating stories between these three governments. And you can, you can see videos of like huge plumes of gas making its way to the surface. And the best way to describe how it looks is... Think of think of the water jets in like a hot tub and the way they make bubbles on the surface, you know, that's the best way I can describe how it looks uh, for those of you just listening to me, which is all of you, because I don't <laughs> I don't have video recordings. So now we have talk of the pipelines potentially being irreparable. And that's con- That's because the structural integrity of the pipelines depended in part on the internal pressure of the gas inside them, which is now leaking out. uh, It served as a sort of counter pressure to the the crushing pressures of the deep sea. As you know, as you you go down to the bottom of the the ocean, it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Eventually, you can get to a point where you can open up a can of soda and you won't get a fizz, because it's the pressure. And if you go deep enough, your submarine will collapse in on itself. But they had the gas here, 
it's meant to be a counter pressure so that it doesn't the pipeline doesn't collapse in on itself from the weight of the water above it and that was part of what its structural integrity was built around so now that there's a leak that integrity is compromised so that's a major problem there and that's why some people are speculating that it might not be able to be repaired you you have uh, you have Russian officials, namely Putin, accusing the Anglo-Saxons, uh, Britain and America, that is. You have uh, Germany, you have, the, you have Denmark and Germany accusing Russia, Russia's accusing Britain and America. Then you have a, a video which conveniently surfaced right around now. Uh, this is a video of Biden promising to remove the Nord Stream pipelines if Russia invaded Ukraine. He's saying, quote, there will be no long... Uh, he said that if Russia invaded Ukraine, you know, like tanks going across the border, he said, quote, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to that, end quote. And then, immediately after that, when he was asked how he would do that, since the pipelines are technically German property, he said, quote, I promise you we'll be able to do it, end quote. So that, that, that video came out in light of this crisis here. And I'll be honest, my gut suspicion was that the United States of America, that we, the United States of America, committed the act. Now, that was my gut suspicion. I mean, the Nord Stream pipelines have been a point of contention between us and Germany for a while now. Like, you only need to go back to just a few years to the Trump administration to see instances of Trump himself promising to sanction the pipelines. So... You have, I mean, goodness, you don't even have to go back in time. You can just go to the, a Trump rally or watch a one or go to, go to any interview of this man uh, currently. And he'll still say it. It's a, ever since the, the war became a, a hot topic and the issue of gas in Europe started being brought up, he's been very vocal, uh, even now, about you, you shouldn't have had that pipeline. Like, he does not regret saying that we should sanction this pipeline and that's what he was threatening to do back when excuse me and that's what he was threatening to do just a couple years ago L literally just a couple years ago it's crazy how things have, have sped up so fast who would have expected we'd be in a situation like this back in 2018 back in 2019 who would have goodness but this has been a point of contention between us and germany for a while now and we've already made threats against these pipelines. So you contrast that with Russia. <laughs> you contrast that with Russia, who helped build the pipeline in the first place. Nord Stream 1 and 2. So, it, it starts to become really obvious who's, at, who's more likely to be at fault here. Technically, Russia could have done it. They have the capability. But Russia could just turn off the, the taps if they wanted to. They can just turn off the gas. As opposed to what likely happened here, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars deploying a cruiser or a destroyer to the Baltic Sea, putting on board a, a deep-sea special operations team on that ship, arming them with a bomb, mine, or depth charge with enough power to damage the pipelines and being capable of handling the pressure from going so far down under the water. 
and then detonating said bomb. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. It could be Russia, but again, Russia could just turn off the gas. And considering the design of the pipeline uh, for the, the structural integrity of the damn thing depends and functions partly on internal gas pressure, they might even be able to cause the whole damn thing to collapse in on itself if they chose to do so, if the pressure was great enough to do so. And they'd save money <laughs> doing it that way instead of this this action movie type, this James Bond type sabotage of this pipeline. Like, so, uh, yeah, yeah, we did it. We did it. <laughs> We're just gonna. I'm just gonna throw that out there immediately. We did that. It, it. It. I don't believe for a second that it was the Russians. I don't believe for a second it was the Russians. It was us. It was us. Let's let's just cough it up. Let's let's just come clean. It was us. It was it was us. We did it. And my issues with that, on a much more serious note, my issues with that are twofold. Number one, we now have culpability. In what's about to be the destruction of European society. You see, before it was just Europe making poor foreign policy decisions and suffering the consequences that came from them. But they had the choice. The entire time, they've always had the choice between continuing their sanctions on Russia and getting no gas or undoing the sanctions on Russia and getting some gas instead. Now they no longer have the choice. We made it for them. So in that sense, by sabotaging the, the pipeline and getting rid of the gas, uh, a sabotage which, by the way, conveniently happened at the same time a, a pipeline going from Norway to Europe opened up uh, on the exact same day. Very suspicious. But it, it's not going to be enough. Norway doesn't produce anywhere near as much gas as Russia does. It's not going to be enough. But hey, it's something. Hey, the, the, those Europeans will take what they can get. But they they had the choice before. Now they don't have that choice. And so what we have is it's it's gone from ah it, uh, it's it's sick, it's sick, and I'm so upset that we did this because again before it was the Europeans making a bad choice. And reaping the, the bad consequences of that bad choice. But we now cut them off from one of their options. The option that would have, you know, alleviated the problem. We've cut them off from that. So in that sense, this goes from a suicide on the part of the Europeans to a homicide. And we're the culprits. And when the Europeans get some balls on them, they will hate us for what we did. And rightly so. And then there's the second issue I have, which is based on the first issue. The, the second issue I have is that we have now condemned an entire continent of people to freeze to death this winter. Like, like really think about that. Like, Let's step back out of the mindset of, oh, we're, 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 the Europeans are too dependent on Russian gas. Oh, we don't like Putin. 
oh, we need to support Ukraine. Let, let's let's just take a step back. Let's take a step back. A, away from, even away from the blame on who sabotaged the pipelines. The pipelines are sabotaged now. There will be no gas to Europe now. Europe freezes to death. Now step in, so let's step back in, with the context that we made that happen. Europe freezes to death and we made that happen. We have condemned an entire continent of people to freeze to death this winter. Because now they don't have the option to tap out. They don't have the option to tap out and say, you know what, we surrender, Russia. We Please give us the gas. Can, please, sir. Please, sir, can I have some gas? We, they don't have that option anymore. We have trapped them in the path that they are on. And they will freeze to death because of it. Because of us. All for perceived interests. Not even real ones. But perceived ones. And I say perceived interests because even though we've been successful in this endeavor, we've gained nothing. I mean, oh boy. People people talk about the Europeans being forced to buy expensive gas from America and expensive oil from America instead of cheap gas from Russia. We could have sold them oil anyway. I mean, we, we screwed our own oil industry over. They could be selling oil to us for lower prices. We we made this a problem for the. But let's let's play that out. That idea that we did this so we can sell them more oil and have a larger share of their their oil market. Oh boy, the Europeans now have to buy overpriced, liquefied natural gas from us. That they don't have the proper LNG terminals to use. And to, you know, convert back into gas and send it through their pipelines. They, they don't have those terminals ready. Which means they can't really increase their imports from the amount that they're already importing from us. So we gain nothing. Even the corporations gain nothing. What, you're going you're gonna to mark up the price? Shoot. It's not like we're the only ones who can send liquefied natural gas. It's expensive already. You think we're going to be the only ones sending them that expensive shit? Other countries are going to do it. We gain nothing. We're not even going to gain a, a bigger market share, even if we run with the idea that this somehow benefits us because of higher gas prices in our exports to Europe. More exports to Europe. We can't export more. They don't have the infrastructure for us to export more. That, that's been a problem over the entire summer. We gain nothing. Like, we have condemned an entire continent of people to freeze to death. And for perceived interests that don't exist, and interests, fake interests, that we've been pursuing, they gain us nothing. Which is why they're fake. We did all this for nothing. Europe dies because of us. And for nothing. So I have major issues with with what happened here. And even bigger issues with the fact that we were the ones responsible. Because, again, Russia could just turn off the gas. And the Europeans aren't going to bomb the pipeline. We did that. So now the game has changed. 
Now we're the ones responsible for what was going to be a, a, a mass suicide attempt. Now it's a homicide. And again, when the Europeans go through this winter and they get, they get some balls on them, they will hate us for what we did to them. And I can only imagine what directions that's going to send their politics into. I can only imagine the fate of NATO after this winter. When all those Europeans look at us and go, you did that. Not Putin. You did that. But I'll digress. That, that's, my, that's my big issue with that. But in an, another note, on a, a bit of a brighter note, uh, depending on how you fall into this one, uh, something good did come out of this whole situation. And that, my lovely listeners, is a litmus test. That's right, you heard me right. I said a litmus test came out of this. Because this major event, and more specifically the news coverage of it, is serving as a really good litmus test between those who can see through the propaganda and those who still can't see through the propaganda. I mean, there's, there's been lots of fake stories to come out of this war that have been purported as fact uh, by the fake news. But I'll admit, I'll, I'll give them this, most of them did have some decent believability, especially for the passive observers of the war. You know, those who weren't really paying attention, but hear about it, they hear about the war every now and then on the news. So, those were decently easy to fall for. But this? Nigga, if you can't see through this one, you are lost intellectually. Uh, you are lost you are lost if you can't see through this. Uh, I've seen, I've seen through it uh, from day one. I saw, uh, my instinct, just off instinct, I'm like, oh yeah. So the Nord Stream pipelines get sabotaged at a time when Europe is, they're starving for gas. And the Russians were threatening to turn off the gas, but left open the possibility of potentially turning it back on again. Hmm. I wonder who could have done this. It was us. <laughs> like I, I didn't have. I didn't even have to read a single news story on that. I. I didn't even have to wait to run through my my uh, my news feed of people on the on the alternative media. There, that's the word I'm looking for. People. I, I didn't even have to go through them to see the truth. I didn't even have to go through that whole process, which is what I usually do for news stories when I want to learn about them. Man, uh, you just, oh yeah, 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 hmm, this is what happened? Okay, it was the United States. I, I, I told you that right off the bat. I, I could tell you that right off the bat. But what this is, it's a very good litmus test. Very good litmus test. And I found, upon applying it, is that people, <clears throat> goodness, <laughs> people are really close to seeing through the veil. It's just, uh, you know, uh, they, there's something blocking it. Because when you present it to them, the idea that Russia blew up the pipeline that they built, uh, they, 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 they come closer, like, yeah, well, that, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense of if they built it. And then, and then the Putin is a madman thing kicks in, and they, go, they just jump to blaming Russia anyway. Uh, so far, my dad... And my and one of my friends have seen through this blatant lie, so 
uh, I now humbly hand over this useful tool to you so that you can test it out for yourself and you don't have to go starting shit with your friends <laughs> over politics, but you can apply it more silently on the sources of information you use to get an idea of how strong their biases are. Because a lot of them are biased towards Ukraine, but maybe even with that bias, they'll tell the truth. Maybe you'll have some different findings than me when you apply it to various other sources that I might not be using for myself. Or maybe you will apply it to your friends when they talk about politics and you just happen to be overhearing and you go, hmm, I can, I'm going to hear what they have to say on this one. But alas, but alas, it's a good litmus test. And I've been, I've enjoyed testing it out on various news sites and, uh, news channels but all that said that's all i've got for you today i do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast the world is changing and we are going to have fun watching it together now i've been your host hashan wade and you've been watching this week in geopolitics so till we meet again next monday servus